You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good evening, everybody. Buenas noches, family. Robert Carrillo here at Metro Vision Studios. And it's great to have you with us. Great to be all together. And as we continue our Bible study, um, we have been studying the topic of restoration of roles, restoration of the church, and restoration of ourselves. And uh, tonight we're going to continue our study, particularly focused on uh, God's uh, restoring, restoring God's view of men and women and our roles and how we relate to each other and the role of women even in leadership in the church. And again, we're, our goal is always to restore what, is, what was written in the scriptures, put that into practice, stick to what God has intended to be able to shed some of the traditions and cultural baggage that we have with us and yet keep in, keep in step with the Spirit and keep up with the Spirit, right? And that's what we're trying to do. And uh, we're walking through this journey uh, somewhat together, you know, in, this, in the sense that we're all learning together. Uh, but um, this is a very important topic. So we've decided to take a few weeks with it, four or five weeks at least we're going to take um, studying this out and learning. We talked about last time about um, the importance of the blueprint model, the importance of following what the scriptures teach. We talked about um, our doctrine, our life, the whole idea of what a restoration is, what a restoration is all about, um, and how the focus is, you know, our spirituality of living in him, the church being what it's supposed to be, and the different roles that help our church be as healthy as it can be. So we're going to be um, studying now tonight uh, specifically more about the, the role of women. And we're, we're starting with Genesis, which I know it's the beginning, right? And last time we talked about Genesis chapter 1, how God made us in um, his image and in his likeness. He made human and he divided human, male and female, making them in his image and in his likeness. And all that that means, which is so incredible and so powerful, that obviously God did not make a, you know, one superior to the other. He made them the same, and he gave both of them his image and his likeness. So tonight we're going to jump over to Genesis chapter 2. Um, we're, you know, and, and we don't have time to go line by line, which I wish we could, but it'd take us about six months to go through that way. But uh, So we're going to jump a little bit to some of the key points and key scriptures in the Bible. In verse 18 of chapter 2, he says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Um, you know, this is a key scripture. It's a scripture that unfortunately oftentimes is used again to promote male dominance and, and, and a male view, an all-male view of the world and creation and order. Looking at women as kind of just, uh, you know, a helper. You know, you're just here to help me, to serve me and to do for me which is a lot of what the culture, male-driven culture, has been for thousands of years. But that's not actually in the Scriptures. That's not what it's saying, and that's certainly not what the, intent, the intention is. If we break down Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, I, it is not good for man to be alone. And we know that, right? We know that people left alone uh, literally can go crazy. They can lose their minds. In fact, solitary confinement is defined by the United Nations as cruel and unusual punishment. Somebody who spends too much time in solitary confinement 
Uh, they're, they're, there's a massive damage to their psyche, their emotional health, their, their mental health. And, and we're created as social beings. We need each other, right? And not just any other. So God created the perfect other. You know, he says, I will make a helper suitable. This is uh, in Hebrew, the Esser Konegno. I have it here. Um, it, it, it has no connotations of inferiority. And that's, that's important to note because I think that the way that some of the older translations put it, you know, a helper, a helpmate, it sounds almost like hiring a maid or hiring an assistant or something like that. And that's not what this is being said here. The word Esser, Etzer, it's, it's more closer, Etzer, um, is used to signify the strength that comes from someone else, the help that comes from someone else. Um, even the Savior, you know, the, uh, David referred to the Lord as his etzer, his help. Or, or and, and the other times it's been used in the Bible to ask for military help. You know, so it's, it's, it's strength help. It's not weakness help. It's not assistance help. It's something that's truly going to make me better. That's going to make my situation better. And Konedgo is, is the counterpart. It means counterpart or a match to not just any help, but the help that I need. You know, God is my helper. That's, that's, that, that's basically the same thing. In fact, the name, uh, 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 you, you've heard it, uh, Eliezer. That's a very, that's a classic name in the Bible means literally God is my help or my helper. El is God and Etzer is that same word, the word used to describe Eve, right? Or Ebenezer, you know, you, if you remember the old classic Dickens story of the, of, with Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Ebenezer actually means rock of my help, my, my, the rock that helps me, the rock that sustains me. Okay. And David called God this. It says in, in Psalm 70, and this is just one of many. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord God, do not delay. You know, so obviously if this is used to describe God, this is not an inferior state. This is not an inferior title. It was looked at that way because I think partly because of the translation, partly the way, just because that's, I mean, who was translating the Bible? Men who was interpreting the scriptures, men. You know, and this was our, you know, for thousands of years, it's been a male dominated society. Not so much anymore. It's changing, but it was. And so our interpretation of scripture reflected that, how we understand things reflected that. Unfortunately, we keep reading in Genesis chapter two, verse 21, another classic scripture. So the Lord God calls, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the men's ribs, the Selah, and then closed up the place with the flesh. That's another thing that, that has often been used to, to kind of consider women inferior is the way this was interpreted. Oh, you know, it, it, older translations, and like this one right here, it says, took the man's rib, right? It actually isn't rib. That's not actually what it says. But, but because that's the way the translation was, people read that. And uh, I, I, I have this quote by a very famous theologian or uh, uh yeah, theologian, translator, uh, leader in the Christian community. He says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm to protect 
and, and near to his heart to be loved. And it's funny because the intention is clearly good. I mean, and when he said this, that was a radical statement that they're equally good. But even that was a mistranslation of the idea of a rib. But his intention was right. Um, and there have been voices, positive and negative, of course, throughout history in this understanding. But it wasn't the best. It, it definitely wasn't the best. And if we, you know, we look closely, that's not really what it says. So the Lord caught God caused the man to fall asleep. And while he was sleeping, he took the man's rib. Selah means side. It's the side. In other places you find Selah, it's the side of the building. This, the left side versus the right side. In other words, it's just another side. It's not a less side. It's not a lesser side. It's not an inferior slide. It's just another slide. Um, I'm, I'm quoting, and I'm, you know, a lot of this I'm pulling out of this study, this in-depth study that was done by the teachers about the roles. I've done my own study separately, but it is a very well-written paper. It's, a, it's pretty deep, not for light reading and not for everybody's taste. So I'm walking through it so, so that we can understand even what the paper says if you want to read it. But if you don't have to, you can listen. And, and we're walking through the key scriptures. Uh, this is a quote from Greg Moretzky in the paper. It says, the, the biblical imagery portrays God splitting one being into two equal and contemporary parts that together function as one complete humanity in a harmoniously unified and interdependent relationship with one another. From one, God made two, and the two to, are to live as one, completing and helping one another to fulfill God's purposes for them as, he's, as his representatives and earthly stewards, rulers. The text overall presents a picture of harmonious unity and interdependence functionality interdependent functionality between man and women, that we, we are inter, interdependent and we function together, the two coming together to be one. That only happens two times in this universe. That happens when, when we get married, two people become one, and that happens when we get baptized. We become one with God. And, and, and really, in a lot of ways, the two humans becoming one human the full image of God, it's very similar. It's very similar. In fact, all the things that you have to learn in marriage of how to be one with somebody are the same things we have to learn in how to be one with God, to prioritize a relationship, to, to learn from each other, to listen, to, to love, to be devoted, to be dedicated. All these things, you know, they're, they're part of our journey as humans is learning to become one with another person, you know, with God, with a spouse. And, and there's, and in the case of the spouse, there is not an inferior and a superior. It's two halves. It's the, it's the, it's the two sides, the left and the right. You know, think of it as, you know, which wing do you need on an airplane? The left wing or the right wing? Actually, you need them both, right? Because they both make the plane fly. And, and so there's not an inferior or superiority in this anywhere to be found. In verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to, to his wife and they become one flesh. And so the two of them, they become the one flesh. This is almost, you could almost say it's a foreshadowing of what happens to us with God and how we learn to become one. We learn to give ourselves over to another person. We learn to listen, to share, to, to bond. 
We learn to communicate. We learn all these things in that relationship, the same things that we're going to be needing to have a great walk with God, to have a great relationship. I mean, the, the whole religion of Christianity, the whole religion of God is a relational rela- religion. It's all about the relation. People think it's about the rules and follow the rules and, you know, what you acknowledge, what you don't acknowledge, what you believe in, what you don't believe in. Yeah, those things are important and they have their place, but that's not what it's about. What it's about is a relationship. A good marriage has structure, has order. Everybody knows that, you know, which jobs, which chores you do and, and who's responsible for what. But that's not what it's about. It's about two hearts becoming one. It's the same thing in with our relationship with God. So this is a very important concept. And here, there's nothing in there about superior and inferiority. It's two halves coming together and being the whole person that God designed us to be. In fact, it's kind of a cool idea to think about how, how to become one, you know, and, and, and they, they, the, in a good match, you learn from each other, uh, you, you become more what each other's gifts were, you know. And Michelle and I, we do these personality profiles, we're the exact opposite, but together we become more godly. I'm more godly with Michelle than I am without her. She's more godly with me than than without me. And we love that. We love that. We enjoy having different strengths. I mean, sometimes it's rough. Sometimes, you know, I want to go left, she wants to go right. And that can be rough sometimes. We've had to pound out some things and sit down and talk it out. And, you know, we've we've had our challenges, like any relationship would, but pounding them out and getting it right is what makes a beautiful thing. And And there isn't a... Uh, you just got to do what I tell you, or you just, you just, you know, you just need to obey me. No, there's, there's a mutual respect here. Both of us are made in God's image. And, and I'll tell you, to be honest, I could see God in her a lot better than I could see God in me. I mean, she's just an incredibly godly person. And I see how the strengths and the things that God gave her. I mean, that's, Truthfully, why I chose to be with her, why I pursued her, even when she didn't like me and she didn't want to date me, but I didn't give up. I kept going after her, kept going after her. And then we, you know, I won her heart over and that's another story another day. But, but because I saw God in her and I saw how God was working and I knew that she would get me to heaven. She would help me. There's no way she was, you know, if you know Michelle, she, she's not going to hold back. She's going to tell you the truth. And, and I knew that she would, she's like that. That's what's, that's what's great. And it's qualities that I lack, I see in her. It's how we're supposed to be. And that works on a, on a, you know, a couple level. That, that works in a community level, whether it's a roommate situation or the church. We complete each other. We all help each other. Men, women, male, female. Um, and it even works generationally. The older people and the younger people. The more we all work together, the more we complete the God picture, the more we are all like God. And that's what makes it incredible. So now we're going to go to chapter three. I'm going to go ahead and read out of my Bible because it's too much to put on the screen. And so open your Bibles if you don't have them open already or turn on your Bible or whatever you do. Um, get your Bible. And uh, we're going to read for a minute here. OK, so so uh, Genesis chapter three. Let's read beginning verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
Now, classic Satan, right? He's exaggerating. He's twisting it. He's trying to make God look bad. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Right now, she actually wasn't around when that was said that God told Adam that Adam told her, um, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, it is interesting to, to note that he was with her. In other words, he saw this go down and he didn't say anything. He went with it. So there's no, I didn't know, or she didn't tell me, or, you know, the, the, the excuses he's going to say later are pretty lame because he was with her. He was there. He saw it all go down. Um, and, and, um, so we continue reading. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Okay, the, the forever call. This is the call that God will begin and be saying till the end of time. Where are you at? What's going on with you? Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. The classic man, the classic statement of mankind. I was afraid, so I hid from you. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat, eat from? And, you know, God knows what's going on. He asked questions not for him to find out information, but for us to deal with the truth, for us to be open and honest about what's happening in our lives. Let's see how honest Mr. Adam is. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Okay, so what, what is, what's the guy do? He totally scapegoats the woman. He totally blames the woman. You know, and this is, this is unfortunately the precedent for centuries of what people do. People in positions of strength or of power or leadership, they want to blame somebody else. They want to pass the buck. They want to blame the next person. And, and, you know, God will come back and challenge him. So he's not getting away with anything. But, but the, God asked the woman, what have you done? You know, he asked Adam, what, now he's asking her. The woman said, the serpent deceived me. Now she's passing the buck. She's trying to blame the snake, right? The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. And you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, 
and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Though through painful toil you will eat food that from it all the day, food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and for dust you, from dust you are, and dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living things. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must, be, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. I mean, this is, of course, the classic story, right? The, the story, the Adam and Eve, and how they end up getting themselves kicked out, and, you know, blame shifting, and blaming it on each other, blaming it on someone else, and not taking responsibility, and as a result, the, you know, the, the, they are cursed, and the world is cursed, and sin and evil enter the world, and everything changes from there, and it's a dramatic story, symbolizing many things about our life today. So I'm going to jump into 13. It says, then the Lord, we're going to pay attention to this. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. <clears throat> the first thing he does is he curses the serpent, right? So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I mean, we just, the, the curse first to the snake that there's going to be an enmity between snake and the woman and, and her children. And the snake will suffer the punishment of the children crushing his head. There's a whole lot here that is not the subject of our class, but the important thing right now is to note that, that everybody gets in trouble. The snake gets in trouble. The woman gets in trouble. Adam gets in trouble. All of them get in trouble. To the woman, he said, he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So she's got a curse now, changes the whole situation. A curse we are all too familiar with. We all know this curse and we're all familiar with it. The man he curses to, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Now, I just want to point out the problem wasn't that he listened. It wasn't just that he listened. It's that he knew better and listened. It's that he knew what was right and gave into what her struggle was. You know, I mean, this is a principle that's forever, right? Just because somebody has a good argument doesn't mean we should believe them. We always should believe God. We should always stick to what God says. But okay, so she, she made this argument. He believed. He listened to her. He went with it. He said, now because of this, to show that there's no excuse here. Cursed is the ground because of you. That's intense. 
Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty intense punishment for all three, really. They're all three in trouble. You know, I mean, you think about what it was like before this. You know, the, the, everything just grew. The, the food grew. It just grew. They didn't have to do anything. Just pick an apple, pick a grape, pick, pick wheat, pick, you know, whatever. It just, it was there to, for the, literally for the pickings. Now, He's going to have to plow the fields, plant the seeds, water, take care of the land. And left alone, it will produce thistles and thorns. It's not going to produce your food for you. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to labor for it. And so they both get this curse. Now, I want to talk about the woman's curse because this is used <clears throat> properly and improperly. To, to, to each, there will be consequences for all history, for all mankind. And, and we have to understand that, you know, the, the, those consequences are because of the sin that was acted out. Not because God is unfair or, or not because, you know, the world's not right. Uh, it's not right because of the sin, because of the curse that came into it. So we go back to the, to the woman's one, which is, you know, the topic of our study. He says, uh, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe and painful labor. You will give birth to children. So, there's a whole thing about, you know, how we come into the world, how we were created, how we're born in the world. And he tells Adam, you're going to go back to the dirt. He tells her, you, those coming into the world, they're going to bring, they're both going to be, you know, suffering labor in very different ways. But it's, it's labor, the labor of giving birth and the labor of the sweat of your brow of working everything. But he tells her here that this is going to be now her pain and her struggle, but your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. There's a there's a universal consequence here that you know that everything got a whole level of negativity because of their sin, because of their disobedience. A negative change for everybody. Snake, man and woman. And the pain of labor, the woman giving birth, the man working the ground. There's some similarities where we come from and where we end up. But um the other thing is, you know, he, he, he says this interesting sentence. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Your desire is, is your want, what you, what you would like to have. The Hebrew word shucha, it's, it's, it's what you want, what you long for. Is, now, there's, there's interpretation that, that um, it's, it's like a competition, that you're going to want to be ahead of him. But he will dominate you. He will rule over you, you know. And and there's a whole theology without going into lots of time about that. But the one thing I want to point out is he's not saying that this that he is supposed to rule over you. What it's saying is that this is what he will do. It's kind of like when Israel wanted a king, and and they were begging uh, uh, Samuel for it, and and he told them, he warned them. That if you have a king, he will rule over you. He will dominate you. And you're going to have to do everything he says. So be careful what you ask for. So in this curse, this is what's going to happen. It's more, 
you can look at it as, well, God wants men to rule over women, or you can look at it as, this is what men are going to do. They're stronger. They have a bigger frame. And in a world that is an agrarian society, which it has been for thousands of years, strength is everything. And to this day, you know, that, that it's still, you know, the, because men have a larger frame and they're physically stronger, they will tend to dominate. And it even happens, you know, big guy and a little guy, the big guy is going to dominate. The, the strength, the stronger character will dominate the weaker physically character. And it's not, it's not necessarily this is what is supposed to happen as much as it is this is what's going to happen. This is what will happen. You will long for your husband and he will dominate you. And the male will dominate you. Did that happen? Oh yeah, for thousands of years. And it, it got at different points in history to uh, where women had little or no value. And it's still, I mean, uh, you know, in reality, thousands of years later, we're just now dealing with this. We're just now coming to terms with what is wrong with our view of things. And, and, and beginning to understand that, well, actually, if you look at the scriptures, there isn't a superiority and an inferiority. There isn't one valued over the other. They are equally important. They equally share the image and the likeness of God. Now, this is what will happen. This is part of the curse, is this is what happens. But that doesn't mean it's what, what should happen, and that certainly doesn't mean it's a good thing that happens. And, and we have to understand that. It's nuanced, but it's important. It's important because to this day, there are many places in the world where women have little or no value. And even to this day in our country, which we consider very advanced, you know, women are still paid less and women are still not asked to take on roles of leadership. Not because anybody's saying they're inferior, but that's what the thought is, you know, and this, this is not just one situation. This happens you know, with races, this happens with social uh, disparity, this happens with wealthy and poor, this happens on many thing, levels. But what we're looking at right now is how it happens in gender, how it happens with men and women. Why? Because this is important understanding the roles and the changes that we need to make as a church in our understanding and yet, you know, staying staying faithful to the scripture. Does that make sense? That we've got to We've got to understand there's not inferiority, superiority thing here. Uh, it's, it's what will happen. So we have these principles that we learned, right? In Genesis 1, and, I'm, and, and this I'm taking right from the, from the teacher's study. Um, we learned from Genesis 1, to be truly human requires understanding what it means to be created in the image of God. Humankind, that's male and female, is blessed to share attributes with the creator, the imago dei, Okay, Mago Dei means the image of God. It's in Latin. I don't know why we're using Latin, but, but Imago Dei is an exciting concept that must be robustly defined, reflected on, and personalized. This includes God's design of distinguished equality. Both male and female genders are equally ordained image bearers and stewards of the earth. <clears throat> you know, the, we didn't get into the part where he gives them dominion over the earth, but you know, it's not actually dominion. It's actually responsibility or stewardship. And he gives it to both of them. Men and women are responsible to take care of the earth and all the animals in it. 
you know, and again, he didn't just give it to Adam. He didn't say, okay, you're in charge, you know, da, da, da. Now, again, now later on, there's going to be roles, all right? But again, it's so important to understand there's not a distinction of value here. Ever, the male and female are both made in the image of God, equally in the image of God. So if we just, boom, I want to get that down, right? In Genesis 2, we learn, uh, I'm reading here, God remarked that man needs a companion, a helper suitable for him. Eve is fashioned not to be inferior, but as a fitting counterpart for Adam. She is the sole creature that corresponds best to him. So from man, woman is derived through, though she is an independent creation herself, one who acts alongside him to help fulfill God's purpose for mankind. Okay, so he made us in his image, in his likeness, and then he made us male and female. So we each have, we're counterparts that coming together, we fulfill the picture. Again, not inferior, superior, we fulfill the picture together. So what does that mean? That means that one, we should value who we are, all of us, made in the image and likeness of God, but we should also value each other. That men should value women and women should value men, understanding that each is made in the image of God and in his likeness. That's incredibly important. That's, that would change the whole world. You know, there's, a, there's an old, I believe it's a, an old Chinese saying that women hold up half the universe or half the heavens. That's absolutely true. But we don't think that way and our, and our society doesn't function that way. It's just now becoming aware of the disparity. It's just now becoming aware of how off that's been for thousands of years. And that's kind of what, you know, I mean, this is happening on multiple levels, on a social levels, racial levels, gender levels, where, 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 where the world is becoming aware of the false dominance that's been being practiced. The rich over the poor, certain races over other races, and, and, uh, you know, social levels and caste systems that have been in place for thousands of years. We're becoming aware of how wrong that is and, and, and how right it is when we all treat each other with equal respect, love, and appreciation. So that's, that's, that's a, that's a powerful thing that unravels here when we st- take a closer look at Genesis 3. So chapter 3, or Genesis 1 through 3. Chapter 3, we learn the consequence of sin are set in stark contrast to the preceding narrative on God's pristine creation and empowerment of humanity. Both men and women are tried and found equally guilty. Both receive serious penalties for disobeying God. Sin brings about tension and conflict. Sin results in frustration and suffering, but man and woman must learn to live and love in the context of their God-given roles. So everybody got in trouble. Now the, the punishments aren't the same. And there are different punishments and different roles and responsibilities, partly because of the sin, partly because of how we're designed and made. That is what it is because of what happened. But the important thing to note is everybody gets in trouble. And, and, and I say that because there's, there's an, uh, an incorrect view oftentimes where all of it's blamed on the woman. And she's the one that brought in all the problems. She's the one that caused the fall. And that is just absolutely not true. And you say, well, who thinks that nowadays? It's at the root of things. It's, it's deep down inside. You know, there, that where we'll think where that society still believes that women are inferior. And that's absolutely wrong. 
absolutely not true. And even worse, society will use society will use the Bible to justify that, which is absolutely wrong. I mean, slavery was justified with scripture. How incredibly wrong is that? And yet people did it for thousands of years. You know, and it's it's how twisted society can be and how twisting they can do the scriptures. But it's still in there. There was a there's a classic, I don't know to call it a joke or a story, a riddle. You've, many of you've heard it, but some of you probably haven't. Um, where there's a, it's a hospital, and this young boy is is rushed in. Young man is rushed into the surgery, and the doctor, the surgeon, standing there, and they, and they and the surgeon asks, or, or they rush them in, and they rush in the, the the boy's father into the next surgery room. They're both, you know, on the surgery table, and the surgeon looks at the boy and says, I can't operate on this boy. This is my son. And the question is, who is that surgeon? And people always like, oh, every time I've asked this, people go, oh, his stepdad? No. Uh, uh, you know, people can't figure out the, the uncle. No, he said, it's my son. Uh, and they can't figure out. And then finally, somebody in the room will always say, his mom? And it's like, oh, yeah, because nobody thinks that a surgeon would be a mom, a woman, you know, and it's one of those tricks you do with a group and people always fall for it. Why do they fall for that? Because deep down they think a woman is inferior and that is wrong. So that's what we're dismantling here and showing how God sees us, how God looks at us, all of us. So we're going to stop here. So the question I have for us tonight in our discussion groups is, is, uh, you know, what can I do to show my appreciation and respect to all people? What are things that I can do? Second question, how are some ways that I could grow in my understanding and appreciation of people who are different gender, different race, or different backgrounds than me? And then the last one is, what can I do this week to reach out and encourage somebody who's different than me. So those are our questions for discussion. It seems like we know all this, but we really don't. And it seems like, yeah, well, you're, you're sharing obvious stuff, but there's a reason that women are underpaid, they're paid less than men, that, you know, I think about the U.S. soccer team. I mean, it's funny because for years, you know, they, they get paid, I don't remember what it is, it's something like less than half what the men's U.S. national soccer team gets. And it was always said, well, it's because the, the, the men's soccer brings in so much, much, a much bigger crowd and much more money comes in. And yet, the women's soccer team has won the World Cup multiple times. The men's soccer team hasn't even gotten to the quarterfinals. Never. The women's national soccer team, Olympic team, they won multiple times the World Cup. And yet they're still paid way below the men. What is that? It's prejudice. It's just prejudice. It's discrimination. And it comes from our thinking deep down inside. So I say all that because we, we, we've got to be the people that live according to the truth, that love according to the truth that appreciate and respect each other according to the truth. So we'll stop there and we'll continue our study next week. God bless you. Buen camino. 
You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit metrolaregion.com.